Hey everybody, it's Mark. Welcome or welcome back to the New Spring Church Podcast. Hey, at the end of this episode, please take a moment to subscribe to our YouTube channel and download our free New Spring app where you can access all of our recent message content. Actually, the app is the easiest way to share all this content with a friend, and it's the easiest way to keep up with everything going on around here at New Spring. But most importantly, I hope the following presentation inspires you to take your next step in your faith journey. Enjoy. Well, I'd like to start by saying thank you to all of those of you who've reached out to our family uh, over the last couple weeks. Many of you know that my uh, my grandma went home to be with the Lord a week ago past Wednesday. And uh, so we're in a time of grief because uh, we're separated from here in this world, but we know we will see her again and we're excited about that. Uh, Last week was a very strange week in that my grandma passed and then that weekend my dad was in Ohio speaking, I was in Connecticut speaking, and Stephen was here speaking. And uh, we kind of thought that grandma would have liked that. I don't think she would have wanted us to cancel any of those things. She would have been thrilled that we were at three different churches across the country. Um, and so, but anyhow, once again, thank you so much for your well wishes. Um, and uh, we as a family are resting in the promise that, that granny is with the Lord today. Um, I want to start this final talk of the I Follow series by telling a, a little story. And uh, it, it takes place back when I was... Um, in college, back when I was, this has been 20 years ago, this has been 2000. And at my first year of college, I had no car. I had to sell my car before I moved to Florida and went to college. I was all by myself in Florida, no car. Couldn't, you know, get off campus or whatever. I was determined that my second year in college, I was going to take a car down there with me. And so all summer long, I shopped for a vehicle. I found a very inexpensive one because that's all I could afford, something really cheap. I found it in Fort Worth, which was workable because my parents went back and forth to Fort Worth from time to time. All their family was down there. So we got together, went down to Fort Worth for me to pick up this car, and we stayed with my Aunt Sandy and my Uncle Garrett. And uh, we'd picked up the car, and it was sitting in the driveway, and I had the itch to drive the vehicle. Now, here's the thing. I don't like driving unless I just bought another car. If I buy a car, then I have the itch to go out and drive it. Normally, I'm a person for whom a drive is not a thing, right? So sometimes people say, did you have a nice drive? I'm like, that doesn't make any sense. That's like asking somebody who just went to the tag office, did you have a nice tag office? I mean, a drive is something you have to do to get from point A to point B, but it's not something you enjoy. You don't enjoy the, you know, but, you know, in this case, it's different. You know, you have a new car, you just want to get out there and drive it. And on top of all that, you know, I'm, what, 19 at the time, I want to drive it on my own. I don't want anybody tagging along with me. So, you know, I said, I'm going to go to the video store and go rent a video. That tells you how long ago this was, that there was actually such a thing as a video store. And uh, so I'm, I'm going to go there. And my dad says, well, I'll go with you. And I say, no, I'm an adult. I can drive myself. And he said, Jonathan, you're used to driving in Wichita. He said, I'm just going to help you. Driving in Fort Worth is not the same thing. He said, in, he said, you think we have traffic in Wichita. You haven't seen traffic until you get on the roads in Fort Worth. He said, on top of all that, he said, you don't know the area. And he says, Wichita, you know, is like a grid. All the streets make sense. Everything is, you know, so you can find your way around. But Fort Worth is not like that. It's like this, you know. And he's like, you don't want to go out there by yourself. But I was convinced. And my cousin sort of, you know, sensed that I wanted to do this on my own. She said, look, Mark, I've got to go to work. And the video store is on the way to where I'm working. He can just follow me, and then he can go to the video store. He can retrace the steps and come back. 
And so my dad reluctantly agreed. And so I, you know, I'm in this five-speed Audi following my, my cousin to the video store, and I find out, number one, that I don't know how to drive in Fort Worth. Immediately, I figure this out. Number two, I find out my cousin does know how to drive in Fort Worth because I lose her within a very short period of time. She's driving aggressively like you have to drive in Fort Worth, and I'm totally out of my element. So it doesn't take long before I'm totally, I have no idea where she went. And here's the thing, I don't have any cell phone. So now I'm in the Metroplex, and it's evening. I don't know where I am, and I just keep thinking, you know, ge- you know geometrically, if you keep taking right turns, you should eventually end up back where you were, right? <laughs> So I just keep thinking, I'll keep making right turns. I end up on like two highways, like, you know, in five lane highways and traffic and don't know where I am. It's been quite a while now that I've been out there on this road. So I end up pulling off the highway. I, I'm now in a part of Fort Worth. That's probably not a great part to be in by yourself. And I pull into this stop station and there's a payphone, and I think, thank goodness, there's a payphone. Now I can reach out to somebody and figure out how to get back to where I need to be. And I reach into my pocket and I realize I don't have quarters for a payphone. Who carries quarters around in their pocket for a payphone? So now I'm in a bad part of Fort Worth. I have no idea where I am, and I don't even have a quarter for a phone. Now, stick a pin in that because I want to make a point about that. But last night, a few people came up to me and said, You didn't tell us how the story ended. I will tell you how the story ended. And if you know my dad, this is not going to surprise you at all. My dad was following me the whole time. Um, (laughs) Sneaky guy that he is. He's parked in behind my car. He gets out. He walks up to my driver's side and says, did you have a nice drive? (laughs) But I I just want to ask you, have you ever been at a point in your Christian life where you thought, I can follow God, I can do this, this isn't that hard. I'm a, you know, I'm a God follower, I'm going to follow his instructions, and you do your best. But pretty quickly you realize you're out of your element, and you've made some wrong turns, and you feel very lost. And it's like you don't even have a quarter to call home. And you're in the situation where you're like, God didn't lead me here because I'm in a painful situation. I'm, it's clear I've made wrong decisions. I'm dealing with the consequences of those wrong decisions. But how do I get back on track? And, and beyond that, what does it say about me as a Christian that I've made all these wrong turns? I mean, we don't talk about this a lot. This is one of those gut-level questions that Christians have that we a lot of times don't even approach. But I think a lot of times we do a lot of soul-searching. What does it say about me as a God follower that I made all these wrong turns? Am I okay with God? What, what does this mean? And if you've ever been sort of in that place, I want to take you to a passage that may be of some comfort to you and may also help us process this question. We're going to be in Romans, and Romans, as best we know, was written by the Apostle Paul. As a matter of fact, the Apostle Paul wrote the majority of the New Testament. If you have a Bible in your hand, the majority of the New Testament was written by the Apostle Paul. Paul was considered to be the theologian of the New Testament. I mean, he really got into some deep issues. And we think of him as the brain. I mean, he's smart and he gets into real deep stuff sometimes. I mean, one of the other apostles said about Paul that sometimes he's, he kind of said, sometimes he's very difficult to understand because Paul would really get into deep stuff. So when you think about Paul, I mean, he's somebody that I would think of as being a, 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 uh, an icon of Christianity. And yet he says this, I want to show you this, this is Romans chapter 7. He says, I've discovered this principle of life, that when I want to do what is right, I inevitably do what is wrong. Does that sound familiar? He says, 
I love God's law with all my heart, and we're gonna spend some time on that here in a minute. He says, I love God's law, but there is another power within me that is at war with my mind, and this power makes me a slave to the sin that is still within me. I mean, that's pretty powerful language, don't you think? For somebody who is a God follower, who's written all of this that we know about faith and about following God and about what salvation really is, for him to say, there's a part of me that's still a slave to the sin that's within me. So you see how it is. In my mind, I really want to obey God's law, but because of my sinful nature, I'm a slave to sin. He's saying, I've got this tension going on all the time between what is the right thing and what my old nature wants to do. I get that. I'm trying to cut out sugar from my diet. And uh, my family's finding out that sugar-free Jonathan is a cranky old man. I guess I'm still in detox or whatever it is, you know. But So I go to the refrigerator in our garage, and there are the remnants of my old life. There's a box of Coca-Cola that's still partially full. And then there is water. Now let me tell you, if you've been drinking tons of Coke for your entire life, water is nasty stuff. It's terrible, nasty. You don't want to drink that stuff. And in that moment, I feel the tension. I feel the tension between what I know is the right thing and my old life. And this is what Paul is saying. In my life, I feel this constant battle on the inside between what I know is right and following God, and it's what my will says, it's what my choice is, my choice is to follow God, I love God's law, and yet I'm still fighting with this old nature that I'm struggling with that still wants to do all the wrong things. What is the old nature about? This is in 1 John. The Bible tells us about the old nature. The world offers only, and this is it, a craving for physical pleasure, a craving for everything we see, and pride in our achievements and possessions. These are from the Father, but uh, these are not from the Father, but are from this world. So the old nature wants what makes me feel good, wants what looks good, and wants wants everybody to look at me. Everybody look at me how great I am. And so if you think about it, that's a pretty good way of, of sort of blocking in what the old nature is about. I want what makes me feel good. I want what looks good, and I want everybody to look at me. Well, there's this, if we're talking about the battle between what's right and what I used to want or what used to be my old life, we talk about the battle in the Christian world. We've always talked about the battle between the flesh and the spirit. And the reason that we use those terms is because that's what the, what the Bible uses. So when we talk about the flesh, we're talking about this old body. You recognize that this body is not the real Jonathan, right? The real Jonathan is my soul. And that's the part of me that thinks, that makes decisions, that is emotional, that is um, engaged in relationships. That part of me is going to go on living even after I die. When my grandma's funeral was here the other day, we had a, a box and, and the tent that she lived in. The Apostle Paul calls it a tent. He says, someday this tent is going to be taken down and the real me is going to go live in a, in a permanent building not created with hands that God has created for me. So I, I have a soul that is within me, but this body that I have, I still struggle with with my old nature. So that's the flesh. On the other hand, we talk about the spirit. Now, what is the spirit? The Bible says that when a person comes to faith in Jesus Christ, that the Holy Spirit, which is every bit as much God as Jesus and God the Father, comes to live within you. It's, sometimes people say, is that like a conscience? Oh, it's so much better than a conscience. A conscience is just a sense of what is right and wrong based on what you've learned from other people. The Holy Spirit is a guide that God puts within you as a God follower that helps, and we're going to see this in a second, helps lead, lead you into truth. 
helps lead you into what's right, helps convict you when you do something that is wrong. And so we have these two forces at play, the old me and the Holy Spirit of God that is living within me. So what about that Holy Spirit? Well, let's read about it. This is Jesus talking about it in John. I'll ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate who will never leave you. He is the Holy Spirit who leads into all truth. Well, the Holy Spirit does about 10 things that we can catalog from the scripture, but for now we could just say this is really maybe the primary function. The Holy Spirit is to lead us into truth. So I may be being a little cute here, and and sometimes that doesn't work, but, but maybe this is a good way to remember it. And that is that the Holy Spirit leads me into truth, and my old nature leads me into trouble. So I have that war going on inside of me, that battle. And this is where as Christians, we can start to get down on ourselves and say, that battle must mean that I'm really not a very good Christian. If I'm not able to do everything that God has asked me to do, then I must not be a very good Christian. Actually, the fact that we are in the battle shows that we do belong to God. The fact that we are fighting this battle between the flesh and the spirit shows that we do belong to him. And we're gonna talk about that in just a second. So let me ask a really gut level question, and I don't think I've ever heard this question asked before necessarily in church. And that is, how do I know that I'm a real God follower that's in the battle and not a hypocrite? Because on the surface, those two things might look similar. In the New Testament, the word hypocrite, the, where we get that word from, it's, it's, it's based off of the Greek that means to be behind a mask, right? So it means to be play acting. So it means that I'm, I'm acting like I'm following God, but I'm not really following God. So there's one example of somebody who sort of advertises that they're a God follower, but they fall short. But then the truth is, a Christian in the battle is saying, I follow God too and fall short. What is the difference? Well, one of the things that we're going to see is, the difference is that a person who really follows God is oriented toward following God. And they're willing to admit their mistakes and their shortcomings. A person that is a hypocrite is oriented toward impressing people. They want people to believe that they follow God and what's really going on in their life is very, a very little concern to them. As a God follower, the fact that we're in that battle, that we're in that turmoil, shows that we really care about following God's word. A hypocrite only cares about what people think about them. So let's talk about what it means to be a real God follower. Maybe for another day we can really flesh out what a hypocrite is. But for now, let's talk about how do I know I'm a real God follower that's in the battle? Okay, we're gonna use Paul's passage to really break this down. The first thing is, if you're a real God follower in the battle, you love God's directions. Paul says, I love God's law. Check this out. I love God's law with all my heart. God's directions, I love it with all my heart. So we live in a culture where God's directions are increasingly unpopular. And as a matter of fact, God's directions are offensive to some people. But in the end, Paul is saying, I have a loyalty to God, and because I'm loyal to God, I love his directions. Every once in a while, I have somebody say to me, Jonathan, you know, I, I like the Bible as a, as, a, as a book, as a piece of literature, but you know what, in terms of my life, I just feel like it's, it's just full of do's and don'ts. And I don't, I don't like books that are full of do's and don'ts. Well, for one thing, I've heard a lot of pastors sort of push back against that. No, the Bible's not just a book of do's and don'ts. And I agree with that. It's much, much more than that. But I will own the fact that the Bible does have a lot of do's and don'ts in it, just like any other owner's manual you'll ever read. When somebody says to me, well, I just don't like that book because it has a lot of do's and don'ts in it, I think, well, you must not like owner's manuals very much either. I just bought a new camera recently. 
Usually for me, owner's manuals go into a drawer so that in case I ever get in real trouble, I'll know where to find them and I can look something up. Uh, but usually I don't read them. But in this case, because I was really interested in knowing all the features of this camera, I started to read through the manual. On the second page, it says, this camera is not waterproof. Do not submerge this camera underwater. So I could have said, what are these dictators sitting in this little room somewhere in the Panasonic factory trying to run my life? Tell me what I can or cannot do. They're trying to be my parents. I'm a grown person. I'm an adult. I can do whatever I want to do with this camera. It is my camera. I paid for it with my money. I can do whatever I want with it. I can go out there and submerge it in water just to prove I can. And if I did that, what would happen? No more camera, right? I respect what these people write in the owner's manual. I appreciate what they write in the owner's manual because I realize that since they designed the product, nobody but them is as adequately suited to write how it should be used. See, the thing is, the reason that there are do's and don'ts in the Bible is because God is the designer of human life and he understands how it is supposed to work. And so what he is telling us is how to have the best life we possibly can. I'm I'm always kind of amused. There's been like, over the past 10 years, there's been like 20 books that I've run across, or somebody would send it to me and, hey, pastor, you ought to read this, or they send me a link to it with best life in it somewhere. I mean, it's become like a big thing, right? Your best life in in this book and that book all over the place. And I, you know, I get it. It's a cool brand, whatever. But if you want to know how to find a resource that will tell you about your best life, that's the, the Holy Bible. Because in the Bible, you have the designer of human life saying how it's supposed to work. So it's okay. Paul says, look, I, I love God's directions. I just struggle to follow them. A real God follower is willing to say, I'm an imperfect person. I'm struggling to follow God's directions, but I am in full agreement with God. If God says it, I believe it, and that settles it. Right? Some of us, though, we're struggling a little bit with that, especially because we're in circles where God's word is not particularly popular. Let me show you something. This is in Psalms. This is, we think this is David. Some Psalms, we're not completely sure who wrote it, but it looks like this is David. And he says, don't snatch your word of truth for me, for your regulations are my only hope. Well, that's a little weird. When I was a, when I was a, uh, you know, college age, a little bit younger than college age. I guess right before I went to college, my parents enforced a curfew on me that was ridiculously early. And I don't ever remember going to my parents and say, do not take this curfew away from me. My curfew is my only hope, you know? Um, Kind of weird. How often do you have your kids celebrate your rules? He says, I will keep on obeying your instructions forever and ever. I'll walk in freedom for I have devoted myself to your commands. I will speak to kings about your laws and I will not be ashamed. Notice he's saying, I'm happy to talk about your laws in my peer group, even though it might cost me something because I'm not ashamed of what you say. Why is he saying it's my only hope? Because the thing about it is, if you are in a world that is in trouble and there is only one person who can tell you how to live your life in such a way that you will rise above the trouble, then at that point, those directions become your only hope. Well, David was in a different kind of trouble than we are, but I think in our culture, we understand, and my dad has said this multiple times from this platform, where our world is right now is not sustainable. Our world is in trouble. And if there ever was a time for us as Christians to say, God, your directions are our only hope, it's now. 
We need to be as Christians willing to say, not only are God's directions my only hope, I'm not scared to talk about them around other people. Right? If somebody wants to know where my loyalty is, I'm perfectly fine letting them know my loyalty is with God. The psalmist says, how I delight in your commands, how I love them, I honor and love your commands, I meditate on your decrees. He's like, I even think about them when, when I'm doing something else. When I'm not, sometimes we think about our spiritual life and the rest of our life as though there was some sort of hardcore wall between the two. Okay, I'm doing my devotions and I'm praying. All right, done with that. Now I'm gonna go live the rest of my life. And David is saying, I think about your instructions to me when I'm on the job. I think about your instructions to me when I'm just hanging out with other people. He's like, I really try to stay in that. A person who's really a God follower says, I love God's directions. The second thing is this. So Paul said, I love God's directions. The second thing he said is, but I do have an old nature that trips me up. That's where the tension comes in. He says, I've got to be honest about this. Now, a hypocrite does not want anybody to see their old nature. And this is what Jesus kept pushing back against with the Pharisees. They didn't have anything real going on in their hearts toward God, but everything that they did in their life was so that everybody would think that they didn't have an old nature that tripped them up. And what Paul is saying is, I, number one, am willing to own around other people that I want to follow God's directions, and I'm also willing to own around other people that I have an old nature that trips me up. One of the things that people say when they come to New Spring is they'll say, I like that Mark talks about his own failings, or I like that Jonathan talks about his own failings. One of the reasons that that's true is because there is some freedom in understanding that when we want to follow God, we struggle to follow God because not only do we love God's laws, but we also have an old nature that trips us up. And this is everybody you can think of, the best person you can think of, Billy Graham, Mother Teresa, we're all in the same soup as far as this is concerned. We've all made mistakes and we all make wrong turns. Paul says this, he says, so the trouble is not with the law, it's not with the directions, for it is spiritual and good. The trouble's with me, for I'm all too human, a slave to sin. Now, look at this. Paul's going to start journaling about how he feels. This is very unusual. Paul's very straightforward in what he writes, but in this, it's almost like you're sort of hearing him put down on paper what's like bouncing around in his head. I don't really understand myself, for I want to do what is right, but I don't do it. Instead, I do what I hate. But if I know that what I'm doing is wrong, this shows that I agree that the law is good. So I'm not the one doing wrong. It is sin living in me that does it. And I know that nothing good lives in me, that is in my sinful nature, which we talked about before. I want what makes me feel good. I want what looks good. Look at me. I want to do what is right, but I can't. I want to do what is good, but I don't. I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do it anyway. But if I do what I don't want to do, I'm not really the one doing wrong. It is sin living in me that does it. Do you see the sort of battle here with one of the greatest Christians of all time. He's saying, look, I want to do the right thing, but I find myself not doing the right thing. I don't want to do the wrong thing, but I find myself doing the wrong thing. And he's sort of laying it out there for us to say, look, this is what life is like. I deal with this tension every single day. It's what I have to battle. But then there's this sort of abrupt turnaround. And it's also unusual for Paul. Because he's sort of in this mental loop. And I think we all live in this mental loop. And we get it. why do I do things that I don't want to do? And the things that I do want to do, I don't do. And then he just sort of breaks the sequence with the third thing. So I, I love God's directions. I have an old nature that trips me up. I have a savior who guides me back onto the path. Check out what Paul says. Paul says, oh, what a miserable person I am. Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? There's a very dark picture here. There were different ways of capital punishment in the ancient world, and 
there were different degrees of capital punishment depending, uh, depending on uh, how severe the crime was. And if a person murdered somebody in a particularly bad way, one of the ways they might be punished is they might take the corpse of the person that had been killed and strap it to the, the person who had murdered them in a way that they could not get loose of it. And what would happen is as that um, dead body would decay, the disease would pass on to the living person and slowly they would die. And this is what Paul is talking about. He says, who's going to free me from this old person that I'm stuck with? The old me is like strapped to me and I don't know how to get free of it. I don't want the old me around. I don't want all of that desire for what feels good, desire for what looks good. Hey, everybody, look at me. I don't want that to be my, who I am and that isn't who I am. I'm a new person since, I, since I've trusted in Jesus Christ, but this old person is stuck with me and it's causing me trouble. And he says, who's going to free me from this? And again, this is sort of the abrupt turnaround. Check this out. Thank God, the answer is in Jesus Christ our Lord. Now, there is no break between the end of chapter 7 and chapter 8 in Paul's writings. We put the chapter numbers there just to help us index the Bible. So when we get to the beginning of chapter 8, and it starts with the word so, we know that it's based off of what we were just reading. He says, thank God, the answer is in Jesus Christ our Lord. So now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. You'd say, well, Jonathan, I'm in the battle. Doesn't that mean I'm a bad Christian? There's no condemnation for you when you're in Jesus Christ. You're going to be in the battle for the rest of your life, but God loves you. As long as you're oriented toward God, as long as you're saying, look, I agree that God is right. I'm struggling with the fact that I'm stuck with this old me that wants to make bad decisions, and yet I have a Savior who guides me back onto the path. There's no condemnation for that person. And because you belong to him, the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. The law of Moses was unable to save us because of the weakness of our sinful nature. So God did what the law could not do. God did what the law could not do. Now, this is what I want you to think about. There's a difference between being given directions someplace and having a GPS. If somebody gives you directions and they're accurate directions, there's nothing wrong with them, right? They're perfectly right. If you follow the directions, you will get to the destination. But if you make a wrong turn, those directions are worthless to you now, aren't they? Because the directions can't tell you to get from where you now are to where you need to be. This is what the Bible is saying about the law of Moses. It was good, and those were directions to be perfect before God, but the thing is nobody was ever able to follow all the directions. At some point, everybody made a wrong turn. The best person you can think of has made a wrong turn. And so now the law of Moses doesn't help us because it doesn't tell us how to get from that place where we made a wrong turn to where we need to be to be connected with God. So the Bible says at that point, we were in real trouble, but then God did what the law could not do. He sent his own son in a body like the bodies we sinners have. And in that body, God declared an end to sin's control over us by giving his son as a sacrifice for our sins. He did this so that the just requirement of the law would be fully satisfied for us who no longer follow our sinful nature, but instead follow the spirit. If you have GPS, it does something different, right? You make a wrong turn. What does it do? Recalculating, right? I hear that a lot on my GPS. Why do you have the Holy Spirit in you? It's to help you recalculate when you make a wrong turn. Because the directions won't do that for you. Right? The directions are good and they are right. And we still need to pay attention to God's directions. But there are moments when we will make a wrong turn. And the Holy Spirit is going to gently nudge us and say, all right, here's how you get back onto the road. 
And God has given us that because he loves us. Okay, I have two quick things to share with you before we're done. Number, two, two things that we can draw from what we've talked about so far. The first is that no one is so perfect that they don't need Jesus. The Bible says all of us, A-L-L, all of us like sheep have strayed away. So every single person that has ever lived has made wrong turns and gets lost without a quarter to call home. The second thing is no one is so lost that they can't start following Jesus. Remember the thief on the cross? You got Jesus on the cross and these two other worst of the worst criminals. You didn't get crucified unless you had really done something terrible. There's this thief on the cross. And the, the other guy is jeering at Jesus. If you're really who they say you are, get us out of this mess. And the thief says, look, don't mess with him. He hasn't done anything wrong. And then he says, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Well, that's an interesting thing to say. Maybe he was listening to the trial of Jesus. Maybe that was it. But I, you know, if I, had, if I was a betting man, I would bet that at some point this thief had heard Jesus teach. Jesus had been teaching all over the place. I, I just think somewhere this thief happened to overhear Jesus teaching. Why didn't he decide to believe in Jesus and follow Jesus at that point? You know why? I think it was because he knew what he had done. Whatever put him on that cross, that was a big thing. I think he was convinced, surely, surely if he knew, he wouldn't want me to follow him. But as he was hanging on that cross next to Jesus, he said, well, it's all out there now. He knows what I've done. He knows how much of a mess I am. If he'll take me this way, then he must really want me. Here's what I want you to know. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter how far you've gotten away from God. It's all out there. He knows every single bit of it. And he still says, come to me. This is from Joel. That is why the Lord says, turn to me now while there is time. He knows everything about you. He knows if you, if you have a drug problem, he knows it. If you cheated on your spouse, he knows it. If you've hurt people or taken advantage of people, he knows it. And yet he didn't say anybody but you is, is welcome to come to him. He said anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That's, that includes you no matter where you've been and what you've done. So I want to take a minute as we close this service. If you're in this room and you say, Jonathan, I really want that. We're at the end of this I Follow series. I want to put my faith in Jesus Christ. I want to follow him. I want to help you start that journey right now before you leave this room. I'm going to ask everyone to bow your heads and close your eyes with me just for a second. I'm going to say the words to a real simple prayer. It's just a prayer that calls out and says yes to God because you know what? He's done everything except say yes for you because he can't do that. It wouldn't be a relationship if he said yes for you. I'm going to say the words very slowly so you can follow along if you want to. You don't need to say this out loud. You can say this silently in your head if you want. Here we go. Dear Jesus, thank you that you love me. Thank you that you died for me. I believe you rose again and that you want me to be your child. Today, I accept your free gift of heaven and forgiveness. I believe in you and I ask you to be my boss in Jesus' name.
Amen. Now look this way. If you just prayed with me, you just made the most important decision in your life and you're starting a very important new journey, we want to help you with that. If you'll go to guest services when the service is over, they've got a box they want to give you. If you're watching online, if you'll contact us, we'll send that to you electronically. Thanks so much for being here with us this week. We'll see you next week for the Jesus Series. Once again, thanks for listening. If you live in Wichita, the surrounding area, we'd love for you to engage with us in one of our weekend services. For directions, service times, and information about our incredible kids and student environments, visit us at newspring.org. One more time, newspring.org.